Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jim Hoven, and today I have the chance, just like I do every week, to meet cool people doing cool things that are literally making a difference in the lives of others. My guests today are Alfredo and Brianna Rodriguez. They are real estate agents, and I'm excited to talk to them because real estate is a crazy thing. It, ha- it brings up different kinds of um, conversations. It brings up different ideas about what things are for you know, tax write-offs and wealth and payments and renting and all these kind of things. So we're going to talk about that today with these guys, and I'm really excited. This is going to be a, a lesson that you're going to want to listen to or a, a show that you're going to want to listen to with thought and feeling because it's not only what the real estate is, but the why behind real estate and why these guys are doing it and what it means to their clients. So uh, without further ado, I just want to welcome Alfredo, Brianna. Thank you guys for coming on the show today. Yeah, yeah thank you so much. Me. Thanks for having us. Um, I, I'm Alfredo. I'm a, a realtor. And um, Brianna's actually a mortgage lender. Yes. And the two of us um, work together to, to help people find um, a home and, you know, get into it. Isn't that cool? You know, that's something that I want to talk about as part of this, not just the real estate aspect of things, but working together in, um, in a professional way. So by training, I'm a chiropractor, right? That's Mm -hmm. what I graduated school with and had multiple practices. And as part of that, part of my time there is my wife who is an acupuncturist and was a massage therapist before, before that we worked together. And so there's an interesting dynamic that takes place when a husband and wife are working together on in now in our case it was the same office we were doing sure. all these things right but in your case i, I want to talk about that as we go too but before we get to that i think a little background story is in order and that is why real estate now i know brianna you do the lending side of things while alfredo is the, is the agent but how did both of you come to your realization that real estate was a place where you wanted to spend your professional lives i think part of it you know my background has always been real estate. My dad was a real estate agent. I grew up around that my whole life. Um, and then after graduating college, I started as a nonprofit housing counselor. And I really saw the holes that there were when people were getting a loan. They didn't necessarily understand everything that was in front of them. Maybe their loan consultant didn't flush everything out. They just said, you're approved and go out and look. And they didn't know how your payment is made up. I think even when we purchased our first place, I didn't realize that there's a difference in qualifying for a condo or townhome versus a single family home. And there is, you know, and so being able to explain that to people kind of led me onto the mortgage side. And Alfredo did marketing for me and, and, and a couple of the mortgage companies I worked for, and then kind of had some realizations on his own that, you know, we could grow this more and, um, you know, broaden our reach a little bit and I'll, I'll let you talk about your piece. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As Brianna mentioned that her, her dad was a real estate agent. She grew up with her dad and she had an early understanding of how important it was to own a home. And Brianna and I actually got married very young. We were still in college. She was 19 years old. I was 21 years old and we bought our first place. And it was one of the best decisions that we ever made. It gave us um, more or less a seat at the table to have something that we could um, use to leverage in the future that we could pass down and that we could just, it was an investment that we could fall back on. And I just realized how important that was. And working with Brianna in the mortgage industry, I got to know real estate agents and I got to see the impact that they had. And um, I knew that that was a direction that I wanted to go. Mm. Now, what did you do before? So did you go to school for marketing then? You were marketing for 
some yes. different kind of real estate based companies. And so you're watching that. Did you ever have an idea when you were in school that real estate would be where you ended up when you were studying marketing? Or did you think you were going to market for a sports team? Sure. Or I think, um, you know, the dream when I was younger was to create ads. I wanted to be an ad man. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as I, you know, got my foot in the door with the mortgage companies, um, I got really interested in real estate, even right away. But Brianna was telling me, don't go into real estate. My dad was a realtor. You're going to be working long hours and it's not worth it. But I just felt that it continued to tug at my heart and it was something that I wanted to do. And I sat down with her one night and said, you know what? I think I got to do it. I'm going to sign up for real estate school. Um, it's going to be a nine month intensive course. She, we just had our first baby, but, um, you know, I went for it and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Which I didn't realize he meant like right now. Right now. <laughs> I meant when, I thought he meant like when our kid was a year old. No, she was three months old. Wow. <laughs> yes. And and so then I, I think a little bit more on your backstory, Brianna, when you were growing up, you watched your dad. My dad also was a realtor yeah. and, um, I saw a lot of the same things that you gave warnings about working a lot and doing all that kind of thing. And I also saw an interesting dynamic in my dad's ability to connect with people and how it broadened his his network of resources, human capital resources, right? People he knew. When you went to college, did you go to study something in in nonprofits or in real estate? How, how did the college connect you to the nonprofit side? So when I, well, really when both of us were in college, but when I was in college and, and looking to graduate, I graduated high school in 2008. And everybody knows what happened economically in 2008. And by the time, you know, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, I just decided that I really needed to have some sort of broad degree. So the degree I actually um, got and the path I studied was um, Spanish and ethnic studies. So um, that's how I learned Spanish. My grandmother spoke Spanish. You did not know it before going to college? I did not. So my grandmother spoke Spanish, never taught my mom just because of... um, Political climate and stuff well, like yeah, that. Yeah, and yes. we've had several guests on that are in that same position. I yeah. always ask this question, so I hate to interrupt, but this is really no, important. Good. When um, several generations ago, it was seen as no matter what language, you'd best learn English, and we don't want you speaking our other language, our native tongue, because we want to be seen as Americans. Yeah. And the, the language of America is English. And so there was a big deal. And of course, now... We feel the other way where, yeah, we want you to know English and speak it well, but the more languages you have, the more the more keys you have to open up doors for yourself and others and the more impact you can have. So anyway, that your your grandma took that stance and it was the perfect stance at that time, right? Yes. Because of what they're doing. But then you decide, I'm gonna learn Spanish and ethnic studies. And so you, you get that, did, was then from there, did you know that you wanted to serve the Latino community or how did, how did that now transpire? That was a big thing. Growing up, um, you know, my dad taught me and showed me a lot about, you know, how you have to be proud of who you are and your race and where people before you have come from and worked on and worked so hard. And um Full disclosure, my dad was actually Caucasian, um, and but my mom was Hispanic, and that's where I get my Hispanic roots. And um, just seeing and studying so many, so many things, and and then learning about how marginalized people can be and have been in the Hispanic community. Like I did want to be part of helping with that, so I got my degree in Spanish. And I will say, you know, a big piece of it was was 
for own personal growth as well, because I always struggled and felt like there was a piece of me missing. And it was really hard for me to identify with, you know, my Latino friends who they all spoke Spanish at home and I would go and I would visit and and I didn't understand their parents. And that was hard for me, you know, but I still had a lot of the same culture at home, you know, with my family. So a lot of it was was those feelings as well. And when I graduated, you know, <clears throat> the job market was tough. It was really tough. Um, I graduated in 2011 and I had found out about the nonprofit job boards and um, saw so many nonprofits needed bilingual bilingual workers and um, saw some nonprofit housing counseling agencies and I knew housing. You know, I had grown up with my dad and doing all of that. And um, so I, I wanted to give back in that way. And, you know, my dad, he actually grew up in... Um, some of the projects in uh, St. Louis. So his mom didn't own a home until very late in life. And it's, it's, it's amazing that she was able to get to home ownership. And he built on that here and helped me build on it on top of that. So wow. those are really important. And now you guys are this this power duo, right? <laughs> where, where you literally are trying to take care of both sides of the equation where, you know, Alfredo, you're, you're doing the showing and the selling and the contracts and all that stuff for purchasing a home or a condo or whatever town home town home and then brianna you're helping make sure that the the money is being handled appropriately getting the best rates the best terms that kind of thing so now you guys kind of come as a package right we do we do like to come as a package because um first of all we we have the same drive behind us we care about home ownership we believe in home ownership and we believe in the opportunities that it gives individuals so um with that it also makes it a lot um easier for our clients when we work together for instance as i'm getting ready to show property she knows what i'm going to show she knows what the prices are she could run payments so as i'm looking at a house with a prospective buyer, I could tell them, you know, at this price point, this is what your payment's going to be. And if they're serious and they want to make an offer, and you know, in this market, you have to be able to make an informed decision quickly. Um, we're able to get her on the phone, have those conversations while we're at the house, while we're li leaving the house. And oftentimes we have clients come back to our kitchen table and we're writing offers together. We're calling listing agents together. And that translates into um, high success rates for our clients. Because you're the speed game. That, you know, for those people who might be listening anywhere across planet Earth, mm -hmm. we're in Denver. Yeah. And the housing market here is, I don't know if you could find it as full insanity or define <laughs> it as full insanity. But to me, it's insane. Where And I don't know how much of this is true regionally or nationally, but we are in bidding wars where I've seen houses going six figures over asking price, $100,000 over asking price. And so there's probably a lot for, for us to unpack here. But when you guys are doing what you're doing, how do you, how do you navigate that? So let's say I, I'm going to buy a house and, and I'm looking, whether it's my first house or my first investment home or my next home, and I say, guys, I'm looking to spend... Um, I don't know, $500,000 on a home. And then you say what? How do you prep me for that journey? Um, I think the first thing is understanding what are you going to need? How long are you going to be in the home? How much of an investment is this um, for you? Is it going to be a five-year investment, 10-year investment, one-year investment? Because if you're looking to be there for the next 10 years, and if you're, you have the means to, it's okay to overspend a little bit knowing that 
the trajectory that we're on, you're going to get your um, equity back. But if it's something that you're only going to be in for the next couple of years, it's important that you understand that um, you might not necessarily make money off that sale in the future. I think the biggest thing is just sitting down with our clients, understanding what they're looking for, what they're needing, and coming up with a plan. I think it's also important that our clients understand that even though it is crazy out there, it's not all about the highest price that gets the deal done. It's about um, you know how pr- professional is the representation that's behind you. How well are they communicating with the seller and the seller's agent? And how well are you listening to the sellers on what they want? Not everybody's looking for the highest price. Sometimes they're looking for the person that can um, you know close in the right amount of time, or that can um, you know adapt to certain terms that they're looking for in mm. an offer. Yeah, and I want to go back to that comment about sitting down and talking about your goals because literally we have those kitchen table conversations, whether at our kitchen table or at our office, but um, we have those kitchen table conversations with every one of our clients because it's so important that they understand how all these pieces fit together and we walk them through their payment when we're talking about you know the market that we're in. So many people are offering appraisal gaps. And what an appraisal gap is, is you're offering to pay over what the appraised value is on that property. We know because of our experience in purchasing our own personal real estate that, you know, the long game gets you more equity. You know, if you're willing to stay in at the long game, you're going to capitalize much more. But some families, they just need a place for the next few years. And we're going to have a serious conversation about how far should you go on those appraisal gaps? Because at the end of the day, no, we don't want somebody to overpay for a house, but everybody is doing it and the market's going to catch up eventually, we hope. And we don't want to put our clients in a position where they're in a tough spot down the road because mm-hmm. that leads to so many more we've seen difficulties. That, we right? have. We, we've we seen have. that, right? When you were graduating when mm-hmm. is when we see, saw that. And, you know, I'm interested to explore that a little bit further. Do you find that most people have crystal clarity with the long-term understanding of what their needs are? Or do you find that you have to walk them through? Because I know like now that I'm in my mid fifties, I would, I might have a different perspective than if I were in my early thirties, where I think my first home is my forever home. Yeah. Like, I don't know if, if, if people along the spectrum really understand it. Now there's some people like you guys, you know, 19 and 21 years old buying your first place because of some of the background that you had. But I'm like, man, do you guys have to act in a way as guidance counselors to help them come to that understanding? Not that they have to go by it, but if they don't know and they think this is my forever home and you see the, the leaks and the cracks and you say, this is one that you're going to have to put a lot of money in if this is your forever home. And by the way, if you have two kids, this probably isn't going to do it. How does that conversation go? No, absolutely. I think it's very important on our part to sit down together with our clients and um, counsel and guide because people don't know what they don't know. People might have an idea. Sometimes clients come to us with with really good ideas of what they want and others, you know, have no idea. But it's through those conversations that we help them come to their own realizations of of what they need. And I think that's one of the unique things of working with us together is we're always having conversations with our clients together. It's not, okay, we talked to the agent and he said this, and we talked to the the lender and they said this, and there's no communication errors there. Um, But in addition, like I said, people don't realize what they need until, um, you know, we're sitting down and 
um, teasing it out together. For instance, when Brianna and I bought our forever home six years ago, um, we sold it two years later. We thought we were buying our forever <laughs> right? home, and then life happened. We started yeah. to have kids, and we realized that the house that we had had, even though it was a brand new house, didn't fit the lifestyle of um, two people with kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and those things, I think being flexible as well, because had we not been flexible and realistic with ourselves, and we're like, we spent nine months building this house and watching it and painting the walls, the colors that we wanted and, and not being like realizing what our actual needs were and being flexible and knowing that, you know, we can buy other real estate and it's going to be okay in order for our family to function better. I think those are some key things that we try and explain to people and talk to people about because you don't know until you know, and, and having kids has helped us gain an even an additional type of understanding for our clients, especially clients with kids. You know, he could be walking through a house with someone knowing they have kids and say, you sure? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, because you know, we, we know some of those struggles. Absolutely. What do you guys see? I, I got to ask this. With COVID being with us for over the last couple of years now, I know that I spent a lot more time watching some particular thing than I ever did before, thanks to my wife, and that's HGTV. I was <laughs> gonna mention HGTV. Yeah, so HGTV, <laughs> what has that done for the real estate industry as far as you guys see it? Because I know now, are you seeing a lot more people wanting to refi to fix their homes up as opposed to buy a new home? Does it change what people look for in a home? Does it raise expectations? of man, I expect this, like, or, or has it made it easier for you because you see all these agents showing all these things on all these different channels? I, I'm really fascinated to, cause I watch it from a third party, but I, I wonder how it affects you guys in the, in the business. Well, you hear things in our home like, they're buying that house for $350,000. You can't buy that in Colorado. Yes, you know? I say that, by the yes. way, every episode. I'm like, where are they and how can I go buy some? Yes. Exactly. So I think, you know, a lot of these communities are in these places that are not here. And people see these big, beautiful, perfect houses with the granite kitchen and everything else and say, that's what I want for my first home. And that's great. But your budget it doesn't afford that in, in in the metro area and it's it's really hard having those conversations and i think through covid people have realized that a little bit more you know i feel like some of our clients are are being a little bit more realistic that okay i'm not going to have the white picket fence single family first time home sometimes because of where their budget's at um but it's caused a lot more flexibility for our clients too we've seen a a handful of clients move either out of state because it's cheaper there and they can work remote or move to colorado because we have this beautiful scenery and they want to be outdoors and things like that and where they're based they don't have those things so so we've seen both sides of it and i think through covid people have become a little bit more realistic i think it does take some coaching and people have been more open to coaching through this process. I, I do see that. I don't mm. know how you feel about that. 
No, I, I would agree. And I think one thing that HGTV does is, you know, it's segmented for for an hour of entertainment. And, you know, people sometimes initially don't realize that that's not the way things go. Because a lot of times when I sit down... <laughs> you somebody, mean you don't have the deal in an hour? And... No, no. People, people have asked. They're like, so how does this work? Do we go see houses and then you present three and, and we buy one? Oh, <laughs> that's so funny. But um, again, it comes down to sitting down, coaching, laying out... Um, kind of the roadmap for people and making sure that all questions are, are answered and setting up um, reasonable expectations up front really, I think, helps improve our client's experience. And That's, I think those are the, sorry, go no, ahead. Jim. No, go ahead. Finish. I just, I think those are the most successful clients for us is those that are willing to listen and and be flexible and understanding through the process and say, like, sometimes we have clients that they need some credit help. And I say, you need to do these things exactly the way I say them in order to, you know, bring your credit up and those kinds of things. And and the clients who who take that and know that we're trying to help them get to where they want to be because they're coming to us for a service and, and, and we're trying to facilitate that for them. Those clients that are willing to listen and, and sometimes they have to, you know, chew off some pride sometimes and those kinds of things. The, the clients that are willing to do that are our most successful clients because they listen. It might be a three, six month process, but we're going to be here. We're going to advocate for you. We're going to keep in contact with you um, to be able to get you to where you're wanting to be if it, you know, realistic. So. so here's an interesting question for you guys. They say that when you're preparing for a wedding, you should plan to spend somewhere like one to two months of your salary on a ring or something like that, sure. right? And I don't know what it is, but you've heard that. Yeah. What do they say, or is there a thing with respect to the amount of payment that you should be planning on of your income? Like if you're going to have a house payment, it should not exceed blank percent of your total income. If first of all, is that a thing? If it is, what what is that number for people listening? So that's, that, that's a Brianna question. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this is a, a big conversation because we have what are called debt to income ratios. So when I'm looking at your file, I'm comparing your income and that's your gross monthly income before deductions. So I tell people, that's what your boss says they're going to pay you, <laughs> but that's not what you see on your pay stub. So we're looking at what your boss says they pay you income. Yes. So we compare that to your housing payment. That's your front end ratio. And then we have what's called a back end ratio and we compare that gross monthly income to all of your debts so ideally you're at 45 percent for front end or back end back end back end say so um 45 of your gross monthly income on housing all your debts everything else nine is that and common? A, no i mean <laughs> nine and a half times out of ten i will tell you we don't we don't stay there yeah. I could go all the way up to 55 percent on debt to income ratio on like certain loan programs, FHA, mm -hmm. we can go 55%. And do I like stretching people there? No, but we have really realistic conversations about the fact that, look, this is going to get you $30,000, $50,000 more in buying power and be able to have that second room for your kids. And those kinds of conversations are happening. So ideally, it's 45%. Realistically, it's generally closer to that 50 or 55% mark. And we have really in-depth conversations with our clients about what that looks like for them. So good. And Alfredo, now let's take it back to the kind of real estate side. When you're showing someone a property, whether it's a individual or a family, do you make recommendations with respect to, uh, obviously, you know, like we see in, in the shows, 
you have to give up something to get something. So if you want more home for the value, you got to look at distance away from downtown or more isolated stuff. If you want more city life and more rural stuff, you know, or, you know, just living in the center of everything, then you're going to have to give up good pricing, ideally for, for higher pricing for those things. What about when you're showing someone property, if they, if they are asking new construction or old construction, do you care number one, or do you, have you found that construction in a certain area tends to be better or last longer as opposed to the new stuff? How, how do you guide someone through that process? I think the first part of the question, is, you hit it on the head, is some areas are more expensive than others. So if you're wanting more house, you're going to have to go further outside of the city to get that. Um, so so th that's the first one. Second one, when it comes to, um, you know, pre-existing versus new construction, um, that is a conversation that I have quite a bit. But the conversation is a little bit different. And the conversation that I have about pre-existing versus new construction is more around pricing. So if a home comes on the market and it's pre-existing on the open market, you know, there in a weekend, it's probably going to be shown 150 times. We're probably going to get 15 to 35 offers. And, you know, a house that looks like it might be 500000 might essentially sell for 575000 When I'm talking to um, prospective buyers, I'm telling them, if you're willing to wait for a house to be built, it's a good opportunity for you to go in and look at a house that's going to be listed at 600000 and is actually going to close at 600000 What a great point. Yes. And not only do you know what it's going to close at, but it's a great opportunity for you to know that you're getting something brand new. Um, it's going to generally be under warranty for that first year. And depending on your budget, you're going to be able to customize it to your likings as well. Have you found any issues um, as a, cause you're kind of a watchdog. You have to kind of be a watchdog for people because you're out in it all the time. I've heard of neighborhoods, like I'm a new construction guy. Mm -hmm. I'm not a buy it and fix it guy. I'm not that reno person. I want something new and I like it. Now I don't live in a new home, but I've lived in it since it was pretty new. So it's kind of my deal, right? Sure. I'm interested though, like with at least in our market, are people cutting corners on the as the builders to where new isn't necessarily quality that you would like and you have to is that something you have to worry about like do you as the agent have to say yeah hey i'm gonna jim i'm gonna go find you a new home but i worry a little bit about this particular builder or this particular area or the soil around here is that something that people need to consider because i love the strategy that you just shared of why get in a bidding war close at the place have something new and move on with your life like that sounds really great to me sure no i think those are important considerations one thing that's very important for a licensed professional like myself is to make sure that we're advising on our um on our expertise subject matter so i could advise as to area as to price point things of that sort and then at that point you know, with new construction, you do get soils reports. You do have an opportunity to have inspections. And it's at that point that I recommend to my clients that they look for subject matter experts to comment on those areas mm. and to get that advice. So absolutely, if there's questions around soils reports, um, there's opportunities for um, an engineer to consult on that. But I always recommend that new construction clients have a home inspector come look at the property. Even though it's brand new, home inspectors do find things. And when they find them, um, the contractors, the, the builders are, are more than willing to, to make those um, fixes and repairs. Awesome. Yeah, I think one thing you're good at too, Alfredo, is reminding people about their warranty. A lot of new build uh, communities have 
like a one year warranty and telling people watch like watch things in your house if there's any issues call the builder right away you're good about that and reminding mm -hmm. them about that as an extra protection too for sure definitely that's see that's really good information i think anybody if you're on the buying side can appreciate all the things you've talked about what if we're now flipped to the selling side what in you guys's experience and opinion if someone is thinking about selling a house now again i know we're kind of in a crazy market mm -hmm. here but let's just yeah. talk generally Broad, speaking yeah. What should they do to try to make their house as marketable as possible? I often wonder, should it be staged? Should it not be staged? How staged should it be? Should you have it super, you know, if you're, how much should you put into it to try to get the max out of it versus, well, if I put this much in and I redo the whole yard and I do all this and I do all that, man, I'm never going to get that back out of it. How do sellers look at it? Um, th that's a conversation that we have when we're talking to somebody who, um, who's looking to sell. One of the things that I do recommend is, is for them to think about their house. What are minor repairs that have to be made? Because um, what are things that you're going to want completed when you purchase a house? So if there's things that you know about, minor repairs, you know, the, the furnace needs to be um, um, repaired, serviced, you know, the doors need to be um, readjusted. I definitely recommend doing those things ahead of time. That way you're putting a good product out. And for me, having a marketing background, presentation is very, very important. I want my client's home to look like the nicest home on the block, whether it's most expensive or not. That's one thing I can help facilitate is that your house is going to photograph very well. So Brianna actually comes along with me um, and we do walk the house together. We give recommendations. We recommend that everybody takes their personal photos off the tape, off the walls. That way a prospective buyer could picture their own um, family photos there. And we really focus on decluttering, making sure that the space is utilized really well, that um, it just looks well. With vacant homes, we do recommend um, most times that, you know, we do some sort of staging because it helps people um, get a better idea of how their furniture will look in that um, particular space. And in some houses where they might be older, for instance, I'm selling a home very soon that is older, it's had certain additions. So it doesn't have this cookie cutter um, layout, but by putting staging furniture in there, people are able to, to see how the space works. Mm. And if it was empty, they probably would think that the layout is a little awkward. Yeah. What do you think, Brianna, on the, um inevitability of a market correction. Every market that goes up goes has to come down. Every market that is down, usually anyway, unless there's a chemical spill or something tends to come up. Um, what do you say to people when they say, should I, should I buy now versus rent now given, and I, I think we may have already touched on it with what's your time horizon for being in the home, but do you see a market correction imminent in the short to midterm from the financial side? Yeah. And Alf Alfredo is actually really good at, at some of this stuff too. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I feel like a lot of people purchasing right now, they grew up during the last market crash. The thing that's hard to explain and flesh out is that prices going up in this increased market is a lot different from what we saw in 2008, 2009, 2010. That was, uh, there, there was so much less regulation and, 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 and there was a lot of fraud going on. And, and one thing that has happened so much since then is everybody in the industry has to, has gotten to a place where we're required to be much, we're all required to be licensed as independent mortgage lenders. If you're working with a mortgage broker, mortgage banker, 
the individual is licensed. Someone that works at an actual bank as a loan officer, they're not individually licensed. So we are required to do all this licensing and compliance training. Loan officers were not required to be licensed back before the crash. So they were doing a lot of things, unfortunately, that weren't the best. There were loans getting um, given to people based on fake properties. There were right. there were ghost properties with loans on them. So then when they were trying to do, you know, all these analysis when the market was crashing and all these things, these properties didn't exist. So that was a big reason for a lot of the inflation back then. Yeah. Hence the movie, The Big Short. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Watch The Big Short. <laughs> watch it, The Big it, Short. It is so like, yes, watch it. It will give you so much insight. Now there's different reasons. It, it, it's economical. There's it's much different. So I think a lot of people are saying, I'm going to wait until the bubble bursts. One, we don't want the bubble to burst because then we're in this really bad place again. Two, it's not a bubble like it was before because it's just a much different economic environment. And I don't know if you want to add a little bit. Yeah. Um, so the simple answer is yes, that we are encouraging people who don't own, who are thinking about purchasing to act now because we do anticipate that um, home values are going to continue to increase throughout the next year. Yes, it might even out at some point, but we do not anticipate that we're going to see things go backwards. Right. And again, when we were talking about, you know, that forever home, even if it's not your forever home, we highly encourage people to get in the game, yeah. get a piece of the pie that you could leverage in the future as home prices go up. You could use that equity when you sell, or you could take cash out to put down on another home um, that is going to be the forever home. So good. I, that brings me to this question. Someone, I mean, while that's great for homeowners, what yeah. this scenario that we're in, boy, for people in their 20s, just getting out of school with school loans and they're into their early 30s and then heaven forbid they start a family, it's harder and harder to get into a home unless your job really is is allowing you to get in. Does it matter from your guys' perspective? I love what you said, get in the game. It's like in investing in the stock market or in crypto or whatever you're investing in, right? Get in the game and do something because time horizon is your best friend in any of yes. these vehicles. Is it better for someone to look at say getting into a condo, a townhouse, a home, a prefab, vacant land, is anything better than nothing? Or is one of those kind of investments where you would go, listen, you gotta be careful here. And I realize, you know, you talk about a commercial building, you, that's a, probably a different topic, but when you're talking about investing, getting in the game, is anything better than nothing? If the affordability factor, like if you can't, if you just can't qualify for anything but a crap hole, as a, as a young buyer, is it better to have a nicer townhome or a nicer condo or an apartment that's segmented that you can buy than a single family? Um, yes, I think the biggest thing is understanding what you could afford yes. to get in the game, but I still would encourage you to do so. Obviously, if you could afford a single family, that is going to be the best investment. It's going to um, gain the most equity over the the, the faster period of time. If you were to able to, to get into a small two bedroom house, um, you could potentially sell it in a year or two and have enough money to put down on a bigger home. For people who don't qualify for the single family home price point, I still would encourage you to, you know, look at condo, uh, condominium or townhome situations, but it's also important that we sit down and talk about the fact that they don't gain equity the same way. It's going to be a different kind of investment. It's going to be a longer term investment. So 
if you're going to buy a condo now and you're going to sell it in two years, you might break even. Um, you might not make a lot of money, but it gives you an opportunity to have a place to live, have a place that's your own. Or um, it could be an opportunity if you're starting out in your career as when you're ready to move up in the next couple of years, you're making more money. You could afford to rent this condo yes. out, yeah. this townhome out, and in the future, you could sell it down the line. That's actually what Brianna and I did. I mentioned that we were 19 and 21 when we bought our first place. Um, we bought it in 2010. And um, we, we bought this one-bedroom one bedroom condo for $70,000. Um, we wow. were able to rent it out for 10 years. We were able to hold on to it for 10 years, and we were able to um, sell it for probably three times that um, 10 years later. And it was one of the best decisions we ever made. Um, so, that, so that is an option for yeah. people. If they can't qualify for the single family, they shouldn't shy away and, and say, I have to rent. Is there a time where renting is a good thing? I mean, yeah, it, it, there could be if you're building a house and you need some place for six months. You know, one of the hardest contracts to get accepted in this market, especially is a contingent offer. And, and explain what that is to people. I will, yes. And I might be talking a little bit more on Alfredo's side, but I'll talk anyway. You guys are partners. Um, <laughs> it's partners. So a contingent offer is when someone is placing an offer on a property that they're interested in and they're saying this offer is contingent on me selling my house. There are so many pieces that have to come together in a real estate transaction. People don't realize just how many people are working on the back end of your loan, your real estate transaction, and how many people's hands are really in the pot. So if you're telling someone, I want to buy your house, but I need to sell my house first, that makes sellers nervous because if the buyer's financing that you are selling your property to falls through, then this deal falls through and they're getting financing for that deal. And it's it's this huge domino effect if something falls apart, just one thing down the line. So we have clients right now actually that are wanting to purchase a place and they um, own a home, but they need the money from their house in order to buy that next home. They can't, they cannot, you know, they don't have the down payment and things like that without selling their house. But thank goodness they have their house because it's built equity over the last three years that they've had it, you know. So their plan, and we've had several people do this, is sell the house, rent short term, start looking at places for you, and and then you keep that money to buy your next place. Makes so sense. so that if owning is, you know, something really important or moving up, that's a strategy a lot of people have used when um um you know, we were building our house, you know, we talked about the rental that we had. We moved in with my in-laws for nine or 10 months, it was very difficult. Um, but, <laughs> that is an interesting know, concept. Yes. I, I definitely understand that one. But we did that, you know, we did that in order to be able to make sure everything was taken care of on this property we were planning on renting out. And the first time we'd ever done it, we're really nervous and make sure we save money in order to put down on the new place we have and, and not have some of those difficulties. I don't know if there's anything I left out. No, I think that's the, the best way to utilize um, rentals to strategically. You know, I am empathetic and I do realize that, you know, not everybody is, um, in a position where they can buy. So obviously the rental market exists for a reason, but I would say that, you know, if you're looking to rent, 
I would look at it with a short-term um, point of view um, and have goals to purchase when you can. And the, to me, the rental market, and I might be wrong here, but the rental market is always going to be there if you are a real estate owner because there will always be people needing to rent for any number of reasons. And that number is driving up too, right? When you own rental properties, man, that the rents are going up just like the cost of houses are going up. I mean, are you guys seeing that? I've seen people, I mean, because I see everybody's payments, right? When I'm putting their loans together and I see that, you know, owning a house sometimes is less expensive than their rental. And even if their mortgage payment might be a little bit higher than what they're paying on rent, they're getting more house versus what you're looking at in the rental market. And, you know, the rental market, a lot of times you need first month's and last month's rent. You need your security deposit. You need pet rent. That gets to be expensive. You know, there's times that we're able to get someone in a home using a down payment assistance program maybe for about the same or less than all this money that they're having to pay to rent a property. So one of the things that I tell people all the time is like, if you're interested in home ownership and you can qualify right now, you should try and do it because you're going to put yourself that much more ahead once you do want to move up to the next property because you're you're building that equity. Mm, I love that. And you guys have a special connection and interest into the Hispanic and Latino community is really wanting to be a resource for them. We were talking about this offline and I was really impressed. And so I want to spend some time here with helping these folks understand what it is that the home brings. It's so much more than investment, right? It's so much more than a place to live. It can represent, as you guys talked about, generational wealth in that it can be passed down as something that others in their family can enjoy and live in or benefit from. Explain to me and to our audience this connection with the Latino community and why you guys chose specifically to try to help them uh, with this kind of need and this service. Well, first and foremost, I think historically, all, all communities of color have been underserved and underrepresented in homeownership. And we're seeing that the change There's a lot of professionals in addition to ourselves um, working to make an impact in this. However, you know, we grew up in the Latino community. We've seen, you know, our friends, other relatives who lived in homes that where their parents did not own them. We were both fortunate enough that our parents did own the homes that we lived in, and we saw what an advantage um, that gave to us. And even statistically, um, I think a child whose parents own their homes are twice as likely to own a home themselves, and it gives them a leg up um, when they come to adulthood. Yeah, and and that's been huge for us, and just seeing that stability and, you know, um, you know, Alfredo actually used to work in, in Denver public schools way back when. Um, and you know, we would see and and talk to kids who they're like, I don't know if I'm going to be back next year because our lease is up and we're probably going to have to move across town because it's cheaper. And, and those kinds of things. And these conversations that we, we would hear kids have. And I know that even in my own family, other, other cousins and things like that have had to think about the fact that they don't know where they're going to live next year. That anxiety that it puts on them and the family, it, 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 it takes up brain space 
that could be going towards, you know, their education and extracurricular activities and those kinds of things. And, and we saw it and it was really important, you know, for us to create that stability for our kids and our clients. And, you know, a lot of the clients that we serve are first generation clients, whether that be first generation owning a home or first generation in this country. I've helped African refugees purchase homes here. So this can be a really foreign concept. And they don't always have someone who's been through it that they can trust and explain to them why their money needs to be in the bank and it can't be at home and how to set up that bank account and why we need a certain credit score and how to create a credit history. Those are things that so many people, one, we don't learn in school anyway. Two, if you don't have someone that's done that to teach you and talk to you about it, you're lost, you know? And we've seen that so many times. And to be able to be someone that's here to help people understand those concepts has really become a big passion of ours to, to help people in that way because you don't always know unless someone's there to help and guide you. Beautiful. Well, you know, you guys have really inspired me through our time today. I can't believe it. We're already 45 minutes into a conversation that seemed like it started two <laughs> seconds ago. And that means that there's been incredible wisdom. And, and so I hope for the people that have been listening that um, they get that and that they share that. If they wanted to reach out to you to find out more about, get their real estate questions answered, their lending question answered, what's the best way for people to reach you? Yeah, so probably um, my cell phone is 720-263-7345. You can call or text me there. Um, if it's the evening, you're probably going to hear kids screaming, but that's totally <laughs> fine. Um, it's probably the best way to reach me for sure. Yeah, um, for me, phone is great, 720-234-9836. I'm also active on Instagram. I like to share a lot of our success stories, and that is um, Alfredo Realty Pro is my Instagram handle. Love it. Now, last question for you. If each of you could share one piece of advice that either you've learned along the way that you found incredibly helpful or incredibly fundamental in your success, or that someone shared with you to make you feel that kind of like, yeah, that's one of the pieces. What would that be if you can think of it that you would share with me and with our audience? For me, it's if you never ask, the answer is always going to be no. So strong. Yeah. Love so that. Thank you. Absolutely yeah. love that. And for me, it's just to trust your instincts. They exist for a reason and they're usually correct. Wow. Those are two brilliant pieces of advice. So for those of you that were listening and got something out of this, please, please do me a favor, share it with someone else because that's how we get educated together. I get to have these conversations real time with wonderful people just like these guys. And I want you, now that you've been part of our conversation, share it. Um, if you can, subscribe to our channels. You can watch us on YouTube. You can pick it up on Spotify or Apple or anywhere you get podcasts. But share this information. Check out our other episodes. And uh, let us know what you think. You can always reach out to me, Jim, at RamosLaw.com. And I'm happy to participate in a conversation with you as well. So in the meantime, you guys, thank you for joining me. You were wonderful guests. Well, you, thank you always have a friend here. And I look forward to hearing more continued success stories. Yeah, no, we enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Jim. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks. Absolute pleasure. Thank you.